This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, a survey ranks CEO compensation at automotive companies. The leaders who top the list coming up. We'll tell you about the impact a potential UAW strike could have on companies that rely on Detroit 3 supply chains and an automaker plans to turn trash into material for its EVs. Plus, we'll preview next week's battery show in Novi and talk about why the discussions there will provide an important view into the industry's future. Without the batteries, without the infrastructure, it's very, very hard to have a discussion about you know, the consumer, the product, and what that market's going to look like in five to six years. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The CEOs of NVIDIA and Lucid earned hundreds of millions of dollars more than the leaders of other publicly traded U.S.-based automotive companies last year. That's according to this year's Automotive News Equilar CEO Compensation Survey. The study found that overall CEO compensation declined slightly from 2021. Computer chips maker NVIDIA gave its CEO Jensen Huang just over $506 million worth of pay and benefits, earning him the top spot on the list. Second on the list was Peter Rawlinson. He got $379 million from Lucid. The electric vehicle maker went public in 2021. Rawlinson's compensation was 11 times more than the next highest paid CEO, Mary Barra of General Motors. Her compensation was just over $34 million last year. Ford CEO Jim Farley was number 14 with total compensation of $18.3 million. Stellantis CEO Carlos Tavares was not included in the study because the automaker is based overseas. His company reported compensation was worth about $26 million. Industry experts say a strike by the UAW against the Detroit Three could have massive ramifications for logistics and transportation companies that move vehicles and parts throughout the auto supply chain. Some of those companies rely heavily on business from the Detroit Three or the suppliers that build parts for them to stay afloat. A work stoppage at GM, Ford, and Stellantis could force those companies to lay off workers or pivot to other customers. That would make it harder for the automakers and suppliers to ramp production back up when the strike ends. The UAW's contracts with the Detroit 3 expire September 14th at the end of the day next Thursday. A strike could result in billions of dollars in economic losses. There's a divide in state-by-state -state EV adoption rates. According to J.D. Power, EV purchases are rising overall, but adoption is declining in the states that already had the lowest rates. In the bottom 10 states for EVs, the pace of adoption sunk 24% from a year earlier. In the top 10 states, pace of adoption grew 1%. J.D. Power calculates adoption rates 
by dividing EV retail market share by availability. EV availability measures whether an EV exists at the price and size consumers want from their preferred brand. A J.D. Power executive said states that invest in EV charging infrastructure and offer incentives have higher adoption rates. Six of the 10 states ranked for EV adoption overlap with states that had the most policies for scaling deployment of EVs and building charging infrastructure. Those are California, Colorado, Massachusetts, Washington, Oregon, and Maryland. And finally, from trash in the ocean to EVs, a nonprofit called the Ocean Cleanup has harvested 55 tons of plastic from the Pacific Ocean for Kia. It will be recycled into materials that the automaker plans to use in electric vehicles. Discarded fishing nets and other plastics collected will be turned into carpets for the 2024 Kia EV9, a three-row electric crossover. Kia said each EV9 will contain about 75 pounds of recycled plastic and bio-based eco-friendly materials. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, the U.S. is still divided when it comes to EV adoption, still a rise in adoption on the coast. So for middle America and the South, is the hang up infrastructure or affordability? It's definitely infrastructure, at least on some level. One thing that's interesting about this analysis from J.D. Power, it kind of takes the affordability off the table because the use of availability kind of means that it has to be a vehicle that would match or compete in a pretty legitimate way with the gas vehicles already on the road. So, you know, a $100,000 pickup, unless you're already in the market for $100,000 pickups, isn't really a case of availability, not for very many people. But now that we're seeing a lot more, you know, compact crossovers, even talk about soon uh, the three-row electric crossovers, we're starting to cover more of the market at some more competitive prices. So you see when the prices get competitive and there's more availability, the states that really like EVs, that have the good infrastructure, people are picking them up. And the ones that don't have them, they're just not. That totally makes sense. Uh, Coming up, Martin French of Barrel Strategy Advisors USA joins the show to talk about next week's battery show. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. My team and I went to each car company separately. We sat down and we said, you know, what can you do? What you cannot do? How much time you need? How much it's gonna cost you? And that pay off big time. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they come around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available wherever you get your podcasts starting September 11th.
economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process deal jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit rayray.com slash operate differently to get started. That's reyrey.com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Auto executives, retailers, and industry watchers will gather next week in Detroit for the city's auto show. At the same time, about 30 miles up the road in Novi, Michigan, another trade show will be in full swing, and it will perhaps offer even more insight into the future of the auto industry. Organizers expect about 700 suppliers and exhibitors, more than 200 speakers, and an attendance of over 15,000. Martin French is Managing Director at Barrels Strategy Advisors USA. I spoke with him about what he expects to see at the Battery Show in Novi next week and why it's becoming such an important event for the industry. I reached him at his office near Detroit. Martin French, welcome back to Daily Drive. Good morning, Jamie. Good to be back. The Battery Show in Novi, Michigan is coming up, and it's kind of remarkable how big that show has become. What are you expecting? What are you looking forward to? You're right, you know, in terms of the size of it, over 700 suppliers and exhibitors, 200 speakers, and I think they're expecting in excess of 15,000 people. So it's definitely the biggest specialized show in and around um, powertrain. So I expect it to be bigger this year. What are we seeing? What are we expecting to see? Well, they're focusing in in four key areas, battery development, in-use, EV development, and EV in-use. So I think we're going to see a lot of discussion around EV infrastructure and the investments needed, and probably a lot more to talk about around the uh, IRA and bipartisan infrastructure legislation. Well, let's let's start there. You know, I feel like the IRA got passed. We had a lot of, you know, sort of chaos and turbulence in the consumer incentive market, but we had this amazing wave of investment in battery plants, in uh, EV assembly plants. Has that kind of passed? How do you see, how does Barrels see this sort of IRA era playing out and where we are in it at this point? I think you can look at it on two sides. Um, the first side is on the consumer side, which obviously has stirred up a lot of emotion as well in the industry in terms of what vehicles were eligible for, for some of the credits. But that definitely created a, a lot of a lot of interest in new models and 
and I think really stirred up the a lot of the OEMs to think about what their manufacturing footprint is going to look like. But I certainly don't think that the, the interest is over by any chance. What we're going to see now is a lot of the new battery and EV production facilities popping up. I think we've seen over 25 announcements in the last year alone, just across the different states in the US. And we're going to continue to see that as more OEMs look to localize their supply chain and access this continuous IRA funding. What is happening in the supply chain? Obviously, a lot of these things are still under construction, uh, but there's a lot of development on battery chemistry and on, you know, onshoring and localization. Is there anything you're expecting to see on that? Or is that something just a, a major topic of discussion at the battery show? I think it's just something we're going to continue to see in the next couple of years. You mentioned onshoring and I mentioned a little while ago about the access to the funding, both federal and state funding. We're going to see that continually develop in the next couple of years and not just in the US, but in Canada too. Canada is going to have a big part to play in the in the whole in the whole value chain, I think, of, of battery development, reuse and recycling. Mention reuse and recycling. Uh, I know you're very interested in the circular economy. Are there new developments happening in that space, or what's the, what's the thinking there? I think the main thing here is is that as there's more focus on sustainability, it really brings the whole four R philosophy of refurbish, remanufacture, reuse, and recycle. That whole strategy it really brings it to the fore. And in terms of looking at Uh, how we manufacture, how we even look at the vehicle, the modules within the vehicle broken down to parts level, Um, a lot more focus on that whole 4R and circular economy. Does the North American auto industry pay enough attention to recycling? It is now, and I think we're certainly going to see that with a lot of interest in the battery show, not just the startups that have been able to raise hundreds of millions and billions in the last couple of years, but we will see it in the battery show, but in general, we as a country here in the, in the United States, we're certainly not paying enough attention to the recycling and the sustainability part of it. It's something that we've seen a lot more in the last in the last year to 18 months, and I expect that we, we will see more of that in the coming months and years. Yeah, the value and the potential of these uh, batteries has, has focused the mind a bit on the <laughs> on the opportunity around recycling. Yeah, I mean, not in lots of areas, right? In terms of the uh, the politics and the ethics of the of the raw materials, to you know what you do with it in terms of second life and end of life. So, um, so it's going to be a very very important part of not just this year's battery shows, but in, in shows and discussions going forward. I'm curious where you see the EV market playing out. You know, we've seen a lot of growth and, you know, sort of end of decade estimates, you know, kind of range from the sort of 30% range to closer to 50%. Where do you guys come down and how important is infrastructure to the arc of that curve? I mean, it's uh, in- infrastructure. I mean, it's it's, it's confident. It's, it's all about consumer confidence at the end of the day. And I think, you know, I've had a couple of interesting discussions with, with clients, but also friends and consumers alike where kind of range anxiety isn't even a word anymore we don't discuss it we don't talk about it It, it's more this charge anxiety you know where are you going to be able to to charge your vehicle and i think it's fine for us a lot of us living in metro detroit areas or 
in, in California where you've got access to home charging. But I think the public charging outside of the Tesla network is a problem. That's why we're seeing a lot of OEMs come together to look at developing their own. The startups that are out there that have worked tirelessly to try and get boost that infrastructure are struggling. There's no doubt about it, both, I think, in terms of funding, but also in terms of reliability of their product. So I think that is the big elephant in the room that needs to be really... I think not just addressed, but just executed, you know, and to give the consumer a lot of confidence that um, that, that infrastructure is going to be there in, in, well, short term, because everyone wants to get their vehicles on the road in the next 18 months, but also in terms of longevity, that it's going to be there for the, for the future. So do you have a a point of view on where we're going to be in the sort of medium term at 2030, or do you see it, uh, you know, in the 40 to 50% market share range? I don't see it in the 40 to 50% market share range. I think it's going to be significantly lower than that. I think a couple of reasons. One, we just talked about it, infrastructure and just overall consumer confidence. The second one, with the exception of Tesla, who are just, you know, really, uh, filling their pipeline of products and the amount of vehicles that they're they're producing, I don't think a lot of us saw that two or three years ago in terms of their two million vehicles a year. But the products that we're all excited about, the Fords, the GMs, the Stellantis, everything—they're not coming through as quickly as we would, you know, want to see them. I think the Lyric is a great-looking car, but we, you know, GM have been very open with their own uh, issues around launches, so. I think that the delay in getting a lot of those um, products out here in kind of 23 and into 2024, that isn't going to help either. But but I certainly don't think we'll be close to 40% market share in 2030. It was interesting to me. I noticed that your company is having like a, a dinner or a, you know, business uh, networking sort of uh, event not at the Detroit Auto Show, but at the Battery Show or near, you know, near the Battery Show. What does that say about the state of the industry or maybe the state of the two shows? We're having a, just a, a small gathering. We, we call it Barrels and Friends. So it's our friends inside the industry all across the, the value chain. And the reason why we, we picked the, the Battery Show is, is because you know we're, we're interested in a lot of the particularly that circular economy, that whole that whole 4R concept. Also, at the end of the day, without the batteries, without the infrastructure, it's very, very hard to have a discussion about, you know, the consumer, the product, and what that market's going to look like in five to six years. The other thing as well about the battery show, it's interesting for us in terms of a lot of the attendees, so not just the main companies and the, the stalwarts of the, of the industry, but a lot of the new players, a lot of the startups, um, a lot of venture capital. And we know that, that Ford and GM are going to you know, attend with a lot of interest. And there's some great speakers there as well. So um, we really wanted to use this event to kind of break away from the norm a little bit and use that opportunity to network with these people that are kind of setting the, the industry and the future of the industry on fire a little bit. Martin French, Managing Director at Barrel Strategy Advisors USA. Thanks so much for joining me again today. Jamie, always a pleasure. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer and Alicia Anderson. 
Today's episode included reporting from our own Paige Hodder, John Irwin, Hannah Lutz, and Nick Bunkley. You can get the latest news on CEO pay, UAW negotiations, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about what happens if the UAW strikes all three Detroit automakers at once. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.